very thankful for each one of you, especially uh, it's been great to see some of the students home. Our college students are with us, and many of you are traveling back today. Or uh, Thank you so much for being here. It's great to see you. We'll see you at Christmas, and uh, love having you. Keep doing what you're doing. You're, you're working hard, and uh, great to have you here. Also, just want to wish a happy anniversary to Don and Karen Svoboda. They're going to be celebrating 40 years together, and uh, they've been walking a battle that uh, has been very difficult, but God has have you together, and we wish you a happy anniversary this week. I think even my parents are here. I think they're having an anniversary this week. Can I say how many years? I think it's 65. Is that right? Yeah, great to have I'm on the happy anniversary, guys. <clears throat> Great, great, great parents. And the best mother-in-law a guy could have. <laughs> I want to speak to you today about something vitally important. I just say that right up front. Um, and it's simply this. You and I need to think about something more often. What pleases God? What pleases God? How do we know our lives are pleasing to him? Do you care about pleasing him? God deserves to be pleased with our lives. I was thinking about the Christmas story. You remember, we'll, we'll start to celebrate Advent next week. But the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary. And you remember what he said to her? <laughs> Mary, don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. This teenage girl found favor with God. God was pleased with her. What is it about a person that is pleasing to God? If we think about a church, what's, what is it about a church that's pleasing to God? Is Hope Church pleasing to God? Are we, are, are, are we uh, pleasing in his sight? It's interesting when people evaluate churches, um, most of the time we think in these terms. How many people are attending? You know, what kind of programs they have? They have a lot of ministries. Uh, how's the giving? The music's got to be good. Is the music good? Is a relevant preaching? And all of these things, listen, are not unimportant, okay? I don't mean to say that they're unimportant. But they're not absolutely vital. <laughs> and I want to show you in the Bible what the, the biblical writers and what the Bible says is absolutely vital if we're going to please God. Paul planted many churches. One of them was in the place called Thessalonica. He had to flee that church. He went and he preached for about three weeks and he was preaching Jesus. <laughs> he said he was trying to convince people, reason to him, that Jesus had died and risen again and he was showing from the Old Testament scriptures why that had to be so and Jesus was this Messiah. Many believed, but persecution arose immediately by those who didn't believe. A mob was formed. Uh, Paul and Silas had to flee Thessalonica at night and they went on to a place called Berea. Then they went on to Athens. But Paul was so concerned in his absence about these believers, these new believers in Thessalonica and what they were facing, that he sends Timothy back to see how they're doing. He records it in a letter that he later wrote to the Thessalonians. It's, he says this, So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, and why did he send them? to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. He didn't send Timothy there to say, hey, Timothy, see how attendance is holding up. How's the giving? Has that new church, have they begun any ministries yet? 
How's the preaching? He didn't, these things are important, but he says, are these people still holding on to their faith? Are they still trusting in Jesus? Have all these trials and persecutions, have they, have they fallen away? That's what he was most concerned about because he knew something very important. A person will always act or live according to what they believe. You sat in your chair today. You had faith you didn't even know you had. You had faith that the chair was going to hold you. <laughs> and so you sat and you say, that's silly. Well, say I'd come in yesterday and sat in one of the chairs and broke it. And I kind of propped one of the legs up. <laughs> and you just happened to sit in that chair today. You would find that your faith was not as good as you thought it was in the object. But people always act in what they believe. And so Timothy goes and finds out from the Thessalonians what's going on. And he comes back and reports to Paul. It says this, Timothy has just now come to us, Paul writes from you, and has brought us good news about what? Your faith. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of what? Your faith. Since you are standing firm in the Lord. Now, it's true. There's a lot of ways we can please God. When we're obedient to his commands, that's pleasing to the Lord. When we love one another, that's pleasing to the Lord. But listen, those things all flow out of this primary fundamental thing. We have to have faith in God. Because we act according to that faith that we have in God. And that's why it's so important. In fact, the book of Hebrews talks much about this faith. We're going to look at some of the verses here today. And uh, it says this in chapter 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. You cannot please God unless you have faith. I don't care what you do. I don't care if you're a music pastor. (laughs) If I don't have faith in God, I'm not pleasing him. And listen, in the same spirit that Paul sent Timothy to those Thessalonian believers, I'm here before you today, and I want to encourage you in your faith. I want to encourage you in your faith, and I think God's going to encourage us as we look to his word today. Let me pray for us. Lord, every one of us needs encouragement. We need encouragement from you. We need encouragement in our faith to hold on to you, to believe in you. And I pray that in these moments together that you would come and do that. Lord, I need this message as much as anybody in this room. I pray that you'd help me to keep believing in you. Help me to, to, uh, to preach. Come, Holy Spirit, help us that we would believe in you and trust in you and be solidified and strengthened in our faith. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right after high school, I uh, went to study music at Dana School of Music, Youngstown State University. I had auditioned there, was accepted as a piano major. Uh, the, The week before I was to begin classes, I received a letter from my then-to-be prof, my teacher, my piano teacher, uh, informing me that I was going to participate in a recital the first Friday of the first week of classes made up of other freshmen, incoming freshmen, and it was going to be at a convocation uh, that they have uh, every so often with all the piano majors of the school, all the piano faculty, and I was one of those that had to perform. 
So needless to say, that's not the way I really wanted to start. I just wanted to ease my way in, and uh, I picked uh, one of the pieces I had uh, played for my audition. It was a Chopin Polonaise, and I showed up uh, that first week. It's all new to me. Um, the recital hall was this huge hall, echoey, you know the thing, and a lot of seats, an elevated platform. Up there was a nine-foot Steinway grand piano. I had never played on a nine-foot Steinway grand piano. My dad was uh, very handy, and he bought me a, he bought our family a player piano. He refurbished it. I think he paid 80 bucks for it. And that's the piano I learned on. That's the piano I had through high school. That's the piano I started college with, an old $80 player piano. <laughs> and it was intimidating, and I was scared to death. I got up. Somehow I got through it. Uh, at the end of the time, the concert, I remember there was a senior uh, piano major, piano performance major. I don't remember his, I think his last name was Brady. It doesn't matter. But anyhow, he came up to me, said some, he encouraged me, and he said, welcome to Dana. It meant a lot to me. He was a senior. He didn't need to come talk to me. And later, I remember going to his senior recital. It wasn't too much longer. And he played, like, beautifully. He played like an hour-long memorized concert, some of the very difficult piano literature, classical piano literature. I remember thinking, this didn't just happen in this guy's life. I was, he was a witness to me of what studying for four years, practicing for four years was all about. And if he was a witness saying, if I would work that way, I could progress too. I could, and, and so I want to encourage you college students too. Just keep working. Keep working. God's got good things for you guys in whatever field he calls you in. But they, he was a witness to me of these things. And I think that's the spirit of the writer of Hebrews when he writes these words in chapter 12 of Hebrews. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. They're not witnesses in the sense that they're up there looking down. Okay, Jim, preach. Yeah, go. Jim. I don't think so. They're witnesses in the fact they lived long ago. They were ordinary people like you and I, but they lived believing in the promises of God. And so they're witnesses to us that we can believe in the promises of God and we can have an outcome that they had that was pleasing to God. And here's the kind of faith they had. In chapter 11, it describes it. It says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. There's characteristics to biblical faith, two of them. First, you're sure of what you hope for. There is a present assurance of a future reality because God has said so. That's important. I might believe that in the future, the NBA is going to be in my future. I can believe that with all my heart, but that ain't going to happen, right? But when God says something's going to happen... It's going to happen. And so the ancients had this assurance in the present that something that God said was going to be future would happen because he said so. Secondly, true faith, it says here, they were certain of what they did not see. So therefore, faith always has this element that it believes without seeing. In fact, it believes things that are impossible to see. I will never see heaven this side of eternity. 
I will never know the reality that there's... All I have is the word that Jesus said that I will go and prepare a place for you. And when I'm ready for you, I'll come and take you to that place. Do you remember those, uh, the, the jeers that Jesus got on the cross from the religious leaders? They said, come down from the cross. Come down and we'll believe. It doesn't work that way. God doesn't prove himself like that. He provides other evidence and proofs that you can't see, but you have to believe. <laughs> That's faith. That's what the saints of the past had. That's what they're encouraging us, their witnesses, have that kind of faith. And for the next 38 verses of chapter 11, there are 19 times the writer says, by faith, by faith, by faith. He says, by faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham and Sarah. By faith, Isaac. By faith, Jacob. By faith, Joseph. By faith, Moses. And he keeps going. By faith, people walked through the Red Sea. By faith, there were people that marched around Jericho for seven days. The walls fell down without any military action. By faith, there was a prostitute whose life was changed and who hid two of the spies because she believed what God had promised. Gideon, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, all of them, listen, they were flawed people like you and me. They, they had moments when they didn't believe well, but ultimately they held on to God and trusted in his promises. I want you to think about Noah for a second. In verse 7 of chapter 11, it says this, now, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. Now, think about that. Nobody had ever heard of such a thing as a flood that would cover the whole earth. Think about it even today. If somebody said, there's a flood coming, it's not going to just affect Medina County or not just Ohio, not just the United States. Every nation is going to be covered with water. What would you think? But Noah said, but wait a minute, I don't understand it, but God said it, and he started building. Can you imagine building a boat that's so big you could never get it to a body of water? Can you imagine taking 50 to 75 years to build it while your neighbors laughed at you and said, you are nuts. Look at what that nut, he's been doing that for years. <coughs> Nothing's ever going to happen. Kind of reminds me of a future judgment that God says is coming. And some people say, no, no, it's far off. <laughs> Noah had the ark, and today God has provided Jesus as our ark to get into, to have safety. It says that by faith, at, uh, Noah condemned the world because they didn't believe. And he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. God says, I'm pleased with Noah. I declare him righteous because he believes in me. <laughs> Listen to what the writer here at Hebrews says about Abraham. Look down at verse 8. If you're following uh, chapter 11, verse 8, it says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Can you imagine? Could you imagine meeting up with Abraham on his journey and, hey, you know, where are you going? I don't know. God said he would show me. That's crazy. 
That is absolutely crazy. My wife and I just uh, completed a, a family trip to Disney. We took our kids and grandkids. My wife planned out everything. I am so thankful for her. Uh, where we were staying, where we reservations for where we were eating, fast passes to what we were going to ride. I just said, I just looked to her in the morning, which direction she goes. I just go that way. Just, okay, that's the way we go. I didn't know necessarily what we were going to do that day. I just followed her because I knew she knew. <laughs> and it went really, really well. But you know what? We like the plan, don't we? When we don't have a plan, that gets very uncomfortable. But sometimes when you're following God, you don't, he doesn't show you the whole plan. He doesn't lay out everything. There are times in your life where you don't have answers. All he says is, I will show you. I will show you. Stay with me. Believe me. I will show you what to do. You have a problem right now. You don't know what to do. God says, I know you don't know what to do. Stay with me. In my time, I'll show you what to do. See, that's faith. That's living by faith. That's the way Abraham lived. It said, by faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents. God had promised to give him the land. He never owned a piece of land in his lifetime like that. He lived in tents. And so did his son Isaac and the son after him, Jacob. They're all heirs of the same promise. In fact, some of the promises God made to them it was impossible to be fulfilled in their lifetime. You can't build a great nation in a few generations. How do you build a great nation? A descendant would come that would all the nations of the earth. These are promises God made that Abraham said, God said it. I'm not going to live on this earth to see it, but I'm going to hold on to it. It says he held on to these things. And here's, a, here's an important point in verse 10. It says, for he, Abraham, listen to this, was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. See, he wasn't, only, he wasn't only living for the future promised land on earth. He was living for the future promised land of heaven. And so he kept believing. Uh, some incredible verses in verse 13. Listen to this closely. It says, all these people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the patriarchs, they were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. Listen, people who say such things, people who live like this, show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God, listen, God is not ashamed to call those people their God. He's their God, for he has prepared a city for them. <laughs> I love that. God has prepared a city. This rope up here, we didn't leave it up here by accident. I just want to demonstrate something for you. Somebody said, uh, do you have a goat tied up back there? And I said, no, I don't. Have. But I want you to use your imagination. I want you to imagine that this rope not only goes out the back door here, and imagine it goes out from our church. It goes out around the world a few 
hundred times. And then it goes off into space into affinity. It goes past the Voyager 1 and 2 spacecraft that are now billions of miles away from Earth. And it just goes on and on and it never has an end. You have to use your imagination, I said. Now you see on this end there's a short piece of tape. This represents our lives here on Earth. And this represents eternity. Now some of us, like my little grandson AJ, he's right here, you know, right at the very beginning of his life here. I don't really want to know where I'm at over here. <laughs> Most of us are in here somewhere. And we work really, really hard at this point all through here so we can retire well right here, you know, which is a good thing. But listen to me. Do we ever think about this? See, the ancients had faith to, believe, to, to think beyond this life. They, they lived here. They lived their lives. They enjoyed life. They honored God. But they were ultimately saying, God has promised this if I will believe in him. God's promised this for me. You see, God has said what you do here and what you believe in and what you place your faith in here will determine where you spend here. And the ancients said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will believe in him. We will trust in his promise. And God credits righteousness to those kind of people. Are you one of those kind of people? Look at Moses with me. One more. Moses, in verse uh, 24, it says, By faith Moses refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses was found, most of you know the story of Moses, by the daughter of Pharaoh. He was the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. Can you imagine what could have been his had he chose to pursue just an earthly existence? He had it made. He had power, prestige, wealth, anything he needed. But it says, because he believed God, he left Egypt. He didn't scorn Pharaoh's anger. And look what, look what else it says. It says, by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him, God, who was invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. The writer of Hebrews chose this incident on the very final night just before the exodus when God called him, Moses, to lead the people out of, Israel, of uh, Egypt, their slavery there. God said, I want every household to find a year-old male lamb without defect. I want the head of that household at twilight to sacrifice that lamb. And I want you to take the blood of that lamb and place some on the door sides and the over the door post at the top. And when I see the blood, I will pass over that home. And your firstborn will be spared. And it says by faith, Moses and the people believed that. Do you believe 
that that was a picture of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, perfect and sinless, whose shed blood can be applied to the doorposts of our heart and soul. By faith, if you trust in that, that you will be forgiven of your sins and you will not face an eternal death, a separation from God. Have you appropriated that? Do you believe it? Moses did. The people did. And it's what pleases God. Friends, let's believe what God has promised. And there's some very pointed applications as we close uh, the message found in the 12th chapter. After going through all these, we don't have time. You can read through them. It would be a great series just to sometime just go by faith Enoch, by faith, and look at Enoch's life, and by faith Rahab. Look at Rahab's life and how she, they believed. But I don't want to keep you here till 6 o'clock tonight, so we're not doing that today. Back to verse 1 of chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, because God has given us people we can look back to as examples of how to live and what he pleases him, he gives some practical advice to us. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We are to first of all throw off some things. The picture is an athletic picture of like, uh, like one of the Cavs players coming in off the bench. They get up, what do they do? They rip off the warm-up jersey. That wouldn't be appropriate to wear. Have you ever seen a baseball player with that big heavy weight on his bat <laughs> before when he's in the uh, on-deck circle? Very appropriate there, you know, that weight and they're swinging it to make the bat feel heavier. But what do you got to do before you get in the game? You got to throw it off. <laughs> get rid of it. You wouldn't see a player. Wouldn't that be hilarious? See a pro baseball player forget to take that off and come up to the plate and you know, oh, I can't swing. Paul says, get rid of some things. You, there's some things we have to throw off. I thought of a few discouragement, anger, frustration, fatigue. Fear. These are all very real things. There are other things, of course. This is not exhaustive. But they, they are things that are realities that we have to face. But we have to deal with them. We have to throw them off. We have to ask God for his help. And even sometimes good things in our lives can be a hindrance to your faith because you start to trust in them. Uh, there's a time in my life I didn't have much money in the bank. And there's times where I've had a little bit more in the bank. I always feel more comfortable with a little more. How about you? <laughs> but sometimes that we can start to trust that. We think we're doing better if we have a little bit more in the bank. But God looks at our hearts and says, but are you trusting me? Do you believe me? Do you believe that I will supply your needs? There's a gospel song that I had an opportunity to attend um, a music conference at the Brooklyn Tabernacle and all the people that went to the conference had the opportunity to sing with the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir at one of their services and uh, so we were uh, Linda and I went as part of the group and we went and we got to sing with the 250 voices of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir and one of the songs they sang was a song called Heaven on My Mind I thought of it this week because it talks about throwing things away that we don't need in life. It says, uh, the second verse goes like this, I don't have time to waste criticizing somebody else. There are some things I'd rather just leave behind. 
How about you? And another thing, I don't have time to be bothered with he said, that she said, that they said, because it's all I can do to keep my own self in line. (laughs) I love that. And then the chorus, I'm determined. I've got a made up mind. I can't stand around wasting my time. I'm going to keep on living for Jesus every day of my life because I've got heaven on my mind. <laughs> i got heaven on my mind. Why would I waste my time being critical of other people? I mean, throw it away. Get rid of it. Ask God for his help. Get rid of it. Leave it behind. And there's another thing we're told to throw off. It says the sin that so easily entangles us. Now, there are many sins that can steal our faith. But I think specifically in this context, the sin would be the sin of unbelief, of falling back. Uh, Even the people that walked through the Red Sea and saw the waters parted came to a place when their faith was tested and they what did they say? I want to go back to Egypt. Moses, take us back to Egypt. We're like that. Come on, don't get down on those people. You're like it too. There's moments we're tempted to shrink back. Our faith wavers a little bit. But Paul says, throw that off. It's entangling you. Get rid of it. I was trying to think of a good illustration for entanglement. And then the blessing came of putting up some Christmas lights this weekend. (laughs) You know, my philosophy is just throw all your Christmas lights out and buy new the next year. (laughs) Come out of the box and they never go back. And you try to keep them. and And what's happening? Is anything getting done? You're standing around. Linda, grab this in. Grab it. Okay. No. And nothing's getting done. That's the picture. While you're messing around with your sin, your unbelief, you don't go anywhere. You don't have any joy. You don't have any peace. You don't have anything because you're too busy and tangled up with your sin. Throw it away. Confess it. Ask God to forgive you and move on. And then it says, lastly, run with perseverance. The race that is marked out for us. Listen, this journey of faith is a marathon, right? It's a marathon. It's a lifetime of believing and holding on to God's promises. We need to run with perseverance this race of faith. Those of you who run marathons, of which I'm not one, I have been told that even even though the, the course is fixed, the distance, because of a variety of things, the course, landscape, sometimes it's the race conditions. It's a lot harder to run a race in 85 degree temperatures than 55 Sometimes, some courses are more difficult than others. And I just want to say this. Those of you who walk a faith journey, our journeys are not going to look exactly the same. And some are particularly going to have difficulties. I don't know what reasons there are for this. But the text deals with this. And so I just want to show it to you briefly before we close. Speaking of some who had faith, in chapter 11, verse 33, it says, Some of those who had faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. Shut the mouths of lions, Daniel. 
Quench the fury of the flames, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and escape the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle, and routed foreign armies. Praise the Lord. Faith brings victories. But then he goes on to talk about others who lived by faith in God. There were others who were tortured. Some faced jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. Now most of us in life will face a mixture of those, victories and kind of difficulties. We will face a a mixture because the scale is not always the same for all of us in, in how much of one or the other we face. At the end of uh, Jesus' time on earth, he was speaking with Peter, and he told Peter, (laughs) he said, uh, when you grow old, they're going to stretch out your arms and lead you where you don't want to go. He was speaking about being, giving his life for the Savior. And Peter said, okay, well, what about John? (laughs) Do you remember that? He says, what about this man? And Jesus said, listen, if I want him to remain until I come back, what is that to you? You follow me. Our journeys are not the same. We can't compare. But I have to say this, that there have been some in our fellowship who have had to suffer the premature death of a spouse or a parent. Some Some parents have had to bury a son or daughter. Some have been diagnosed with a terminal illness. Some have suffered the pain of infertility. Some have prodigal sons or daughters. They brought their children to the Lord in a place like this when they were babies and dedicated them to the Lord and now they've grown and walked away from God. Some face the challenges of having children with special needs. And while you and I just get up a lot of times and go and do what we want to do, every day they have a special needs child to care for. What's the next surgery going to bring? Some have been betrayed by a spouse, a family member, or a close friend. Friends, these and many other trials may be a part of your journey and they may not be a part of someone else's journey. And God does not give us explanations as to why these things are in this life. But he asks us to do something very important. He says in verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Whatever your problem, need, difficulty, just fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the author of your faith. He will perfect your faith. And he's the one who was able to see and had a, lived with a present assurance of a future reality. It says that 
For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He knew the cross was coming, but he knew the joy beyond the cross. Friends, there is a joy for all of us, whatever our race takes us, wherever it leads us, there is a joy for us in eternity. There's help in this life and there's a joy in eternity. And you say, how can you say that? I can say it because God said it. God said it. Believe it. Believe he will redeem your suffering. Believe he will make things new. Believe that he will help you. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Consider him, it says, who endured such opposition so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Hope, church, don't grow weary. Please don't lose heart. These struggles are temporary. God has promised good things. And until that day, he said he'd be with us every day on this earth. No matter what we face, every day he's going to be with us. Good, bad, whatever it is, he's with you today. We can say with the Apostle Paul, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Don't lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us, Paul writes, an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. When I think of some of the terrible suffering of this earth, and Paul says, listen, these temporary sufferings, God is preparing a glory that will outweigh them all. And I'm not talking about just a little weight outweighing. It's going to be great. God is going to give us an eternity with him. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen. doesn't mean we ignore our problems. They're there, but we bring alongside it something else. We fix our eyes on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. As we close today, uh, I just want to allow this place to be a place of prayer. Jesus is with us. And I just um, ask that if you would consider turning to God today, afresh and anew. I don't know where you're at. The Holy Spirit knows. He knows what you need. He knows all of us intimately. He knows if we've shrunk back in believing his promises he knows if we've ever believed what he has promised through his son Jesus he knows what problems you face and as we sing a, a very simple song uh, it says turn your eyes upon Jesus look full in his wonderful face and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace if you just like to seek God in prayer and step out in faith today, it will please God. You know, he, he runs to people who, who respond to him in faith, who would say today, God, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe in you. My problem doesn't have an earthly answer, it seems, but I'm going to hold on to you no matter what. Thank you for your promise to be with me. Help me with whatever. Maybe some here today would just want to ask God to strengthen their faith. God, strengthen my faith. 
we're going to close singing this and making this a place of prayer. I'll dismiss you very soon. But if you'd like to come and pray uh, and even step out and kneel at an altar or sit in a chair up front here, however you'd want to seek God, I encourage you today to please God by responding to Him in faith. Please stand together with me. you'd like to seek him and reach out to him by faith, don't be ashamed to come.
Thank you for your presence. Thank you for the encouragement today to keep going. Thank you for the witness that others before us lived and they were able to hold on to you. They didn't do it perfectly. But God, they sought you and they chose to believe your promises. Let us be those kind of people. Thank you again for this these moments together. In your name I pray. Amen. You're free to linger and pray or you can be dismissed. But thank you so much for coming. God bless you.